Have you ever felt like an outsider? Ever felt like you didn't belong? That perhaps you were in a place that you felt like, you know, I'm not supposed to be here. This place is strange. This place is, doesn't feel right. I'm not really supposed to be in this place. Many times in our lives we can be in places, we can be around certain people, and we just feel as if we're strangers, that we're in a strange land. We can feel a sense of tension that, that this is just not right. Something is wrong with this place. Something isn't right. John Bunyan, in his really infamous story of, of Pilgrim's Progress, about Pilgrim, Christian's journey through life, as he uh, tells us that story, one of the often tensions within the story is how, well, how Christian really just feels as if, like, I'm not where I'm supposed to be. The book opens with that sort of opening scene. He's there with his family and friends. He's there with his children, really. His family really looks at him like, you're crazy, right? What do you mean? As he feels this tension that, that I'm not where I'm supposed to be. I'm a stranger, an, an alien in this world. The Bible speaks about the same kind of language. All throughout the Bible, there's this language of, of being sojourners or aliens. Consider Abraham as he was called to leave his family, leave his father's home, and to travel to a land that he had never been to before. God called him to go to a land and to settle there. But even there, he didn't own anything. He didn't have any land. He was still a refugee, a, a, an alien, a sojourner. He, he wasn't, wasn't home. All throughout the Bible, God's people are often in places where they don't feel at home. When God sends his people out from bondage in Egypt and into the promised land, the whole narrative is about the fact they finally have a home, they, they finally have a place, but even there, they don't experience rest because sin is still around them. When we come to the New Testament, the Bible talks in the New Testament often about the mystery of the gospel and how we were once not a people, but that now we are God's people. Once we were not a nation, but now we are a nation. Once we weren't, but now we are. And that's the great mystery of the gospel. We've been taken from one kingdom into another. And that tension of feeling like I'm a stranger feeling like an outsider. Well, friends, is exactly how Ruth felt. She was an outsider. She wasn't an Israelite. In our text this morning, we're going to see that the narrator often, regularly, over and over again, emphasizes that she is an outsider. Outside the promises of God, outside the covenant of God, outside the people of God, she is in a place she should not be. But what we are going to see is that God has yet a purpose bigger than Ruth, bigger than Boaz, and bigger than Naomi, about how God is going to call all the nations to him for his glory. 
Let's turn to Ruth chapter 3 this morning in your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, I just invite you to grab one that's in front of you and turn to page 223 uh, in the Pew Bibles, those black ESV Pew Bibles. If it's a red one, uh, ask a neighbor for help. Um, Ruth chapter 3. Ruth chapter 3. I'm going to begin in verse 1. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the flesh... (laughs) Threshing floor, excuse me. Wash therefore and anoint yourself and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And Ruth replied, All you say I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did as just as her mother in law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk, and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, Who are you? She answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And Boaz said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter, You have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer. Yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight, and in the morning, if if he will redeem you, good. Let him do it. But if he will not redeem you, then, as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, Let it not be known that a woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, Bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it, and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law and said, How did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. Over the last few weeks, we have been working our way through uh, this beautiful story, uh, the the beauty of the narrative uh, almost speaks for itself uh, in crafting this beautiful story and highlighting the characters and their faithfulness to God. Uh, we have learned that Naomi, uh, an Israelite, uh, traveled with her husband because of a famine in Israel. They had to leave the country and go to another country. They went to Moab, a, a, a country that bordered theirs. Uh, and they went down to Moab with their two sons, and we learned that their two that her two sons died, and her husband died. Now she had lived there some time with her daughters-in-law Ruth, and uh, and and so Ruth comes back with her, and uh, her other daughter-in-law stays down there in Moab. Uh, good that she does that. Uh, 
And Ruth comes back with Naomi. And Naomi is distraught. She's upset. Uh, they, they are without food, without pr- protection, and really without hope. We understand that this culture was much different than ours some 4,000 maybe years ago. Very different than our culture today. In that, that women were not uh, able to kind of have a job apart from another taking care of them. And so a widow in the nation of Israel, that would have been a very serious thing. It would have been very difficult uh, for them to live. And so they're poor, they are without food, they are without shelter, and they are ultimately relying on their family to provide for them. And what we see in this story is how God is working not only through this small, uh, through this small family, but also th- working through God's people. I'll, I'll wait. Ruth, we are told, is a Moabitess. In the Bible, in the story here, as I mentioned earlier, uh, the narrator is emphasizing for her who she is. But Ruth, though she is outside of the covenant of God, we begin to see that God is blessing her. God is caring for her. God is doing something in her life that, that is undeserving. He is bringing in a wild olive shoot into the family of God. He is bringing in someone who is not a part of the family of God. And we see God's mercy on those who suffer. God is caring for those that, that are really without. God is showing His grace towards those in His life. And we were reminded that this period from the very beginning, it's not like a joy and, and jubilant time in the nation of Israel. These are not good days, if you will. These are rather bad days. Uh, these are the days of the judges. And if you're not familiar with that, the judges uh, was a time of wickedness in the nation of Israel. Uh, They were plagued by the people that they did not drive out. You see, God had told the nation of Israel that when you go into the land of Canaan, I want you to drive out all of the people. I want you to push all the people out. Don't leave anybody. Well, soon what began to happen is they didn't follow the Lord's commands and they left the people there. They left the Canaanites with their gods. And the nation of Israel slowly but steadily began to worship those gods. They began to be transformed by those, the lives of those people. And because of that, they began to disobey God and His Word. They were rebellious people. And that constant refrain of the book of Judges, that everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Friends, those are the times that, that Ruth and Naomi are living. The time in which Boaz is doing this work. is a time of, of utter wickedness. And, but yet, in the midst of that, God is working to save His people. God has not abandoned his people. God has not left his promises unfulfilled. But rather, he is working through these lives to redeem them. He will renew them, all to display his goodness. So what is the point of Ruth chapter 3? What is the point of this story that's going on? And this, this ancient marriage proposal, if you will, this ancient marriage ceremony that we are witnessing in chapters 3 and 4, what is going on? What is the story really all about? Well, I think it's this. God will reward those who trust in Him. God will reward those who trust in Him in all aspects of their life. I think this story is teaching us how God will reward those who trust in Him. 
I think the characters in the story are meant to show us what life looks like when you trust in God rather than yourself. When you, rather living your own way, live God's way. What does it look like? So this story really lays out for us, I think, three aspects of God's rewards. How God rewards His people, why God rewards His people, who God rewards. What does it look like? So we're going to think about God rewarding his people for their faithfulness. God rewarding you for your trust in him. First we see in the story, I think one overarching theme that we see is that God rewards to display his character. God rewards to display his character. We really want to understand why God does anything that he does He does it for his own glory, for his own fame, to kind of put himself on display. We think about that and we think, well, golly, he must be a very selfish God, self-centered God. Exactly. (laughs) Uh, God is a jealous God. God who is jealous for his own name, for his own fame, his own glory. God does everything for his own glory, not for our glory. And from the very beginning here, we see God displaying his character of goodness to Ruth, to Naomi, and to Boaz. Uh, Let's look at a few passages throughout this. Again, because this is a narrative passage, we're not going to just go verse by verse, but begin to kind of look at different angles of the story to kind of see and highlight different aspects of the story. And from the very beginning here, we see that the story is about God and his character. In verse 1, the narrator says, Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to Ruth, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may go well with you? We see throughout this that the goal here is that Ruth will receive a blessing from God. We've looked at several passages where the characters of the story are repeatedly praying, God, Will you care for us? God, will you provide for us? God, will you show your goodness to us? That constant word throughout. And and we notice here in verse 1, the word rest. The word rest. Well, that's really an overarching theme in the Old Testament about how God was giving his people rest. Uh, The Sabbath day was a day of rest, right? When they went into the, the people, when the people went into the land of Canaan, They were entering their rest. As New Testament people, we often talk about eternal life as our rest, right? Where we receive the reward of our rest in Christ. And and so throughout this, what we see is Naomi is seeking to bless Ruth that it may be well with her and she's caring for her. God is working to care for her. And if you just look over to chapter 2 and verse 12. We see this prayer that Boaz prays, and we see chapter 3 is really the outworking of this prayer. Chapter 2 and verse 12, The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. We see God is, is working in their lives to display his character of goodness. We trust that God is the one who's doing this, Yes, the characters are making decisions. Yes, Ruth and Naomi are doing things and Boaz is blessing. But all of this, we are to see that this is God working throughout this. And so Naomi devises this plan. Naomi comes up with this plan and says, hey, this is how uh, we're going to do this, right? She she points to Boaz and she says, look, Boaz is is a relative of ours. 
Now, we're going to consider in a moment kind of the backstory to this in, in just a minute. Before we do, uh, I just want you to see God's goodness uh, by blessing these people. Now, I want to say just a little word, uh, just a note, and just kind of move on beyond this. As you read through this, I think one of the dangers that, that often we could do is read into the story our contemporary context, right? Uh, there's some mystery going on here that we don't know about, all right? Uh, there, there's no Bible verse that talks about uh, engagements, marriage engagements in the nation of Israel. Not, there's not a lot. You know, our natural way in our culture to be engaged, right? Uh, a man asks a wife, will you, you know, will you marry? You know, gets down on a knee, you guys ring, all that kind of stuff, right? Well, in their culture, we see that it's a little different than ours. And so we want to be careful. We don't begin to like read into that prescription like, oh, this is how you know, God wants us to you know, engage in marriage ceremonies. Clearly, though, we understand that this is an Israelite thing, not a Moabite thing. And the reason we know that because Naomi is the one who's giving uh, Ruth the instructions. And so this is something that the nation of Israel done. We're not really quite sure where they started, but it's a cultural thing. And one thing I would want to say is that we don't want to uh, see anything inappropriate here. Anything sexual uh, or any problem. Because throughout the story, notice that, they, that the narrator is calling them noble and worthy people. And if they were doing anything wrong here, the narrator would point it out. And, and so we don't want to read anything into that. We don't want to uh, you know, misunderstand what's happening there. Uh, that all that they are doing is honorable and praiseworthy. Okay? Uh, while there is mystery in that, we're not sure why. Uh, it, it was like that, why she was instructed to go down and uncover his feet and what it meant to lay at his feet and all these kind of details of the narrative. Uh, we don't know, so we just trust the Lord in that. But we see that throughout this passage that it is God's nature to reward, uh, that, that it is his very nature. And we think about God's goodness, right? So, so for example, uh, look with me here. Um, down here, my, may you be blessed by the Lord, verse 10, my daughter, you have made this last kindness greater than the first in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. Um, that word kindness, there's that, that, that word that we've seen, the goodness, right? And so Ruth's goodness, Ruth's kindness is a reflection of God's kindness in this story. Um, and, and so God's goodness, what does that mean? It means God's mercy, his grace, and his patience. God's mercy is God's kindness towards those who are undeserving, those God's kindness towards those in misery and distress. God's grace is, is receiving something which we don't deserve. But then also God's patience. God is a patient God. All of that is about God's goodness. Uh, so in 2 Corinthians 1.3, Paul speaks of the fact that God comforts us in our afflictions. In chapter 3, we see God comforting these people. God working out in their lives. And I just wonder this morning as you think, do you appreciate God's kindness towards you? Do you appreciate the kindness God has demonstrated towards you? Lloyd-Jones once wrote, Even when men and women have forgotten him and have lost their knowledge of him, God continues to be good to them in many ways. How has God been kind to you in your life? How, how can you reflect on the kindness of God in your life this morning? Maybe just spend this afternoon a, a few minutes just reflecting how God has been kind towards you, how he's demonstrated mercy towards you. The greatest way that Christ, that God shows mercy to us is in Christ, right? Uh, through Jesus Christ, he has given us his son that he might redeem us for his glory. And so God rewards to display his character. 
A second aspect that we see here in this passage in chapter 3 is that God rewards those who are undeserving. Look with me at verse 9. As Ruth goes to to, uh, Boaz and requests to be married, that's really generally what she's doing. She's she's asking Boaz to redeem her. Will you redeem me? Will you purchase me? Will you save me? Boaz, as she comes, look at verse 9. He said, Who are you? And she said, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. We see that Ruth is not uh, imposing this upon him. Uh, She recognizes that she is undeserving of this. She's undeserving. Uh, She's a Moabite woman, after all. What does it mean that this author keeps bringing up the fact that she is a Moabite woman? Woman, what's the deal with that? Why is that? Well, if you remember, the Moabite people were not God's uh, people. Uh, they were outside of God's people. They were rebellious people. And if you just have your Bibles open, you can just turn over a few pages to Judges chapter 3. I'll just turn over there real quick and just give you a little bit of a glimpse of, uh, of this. In Judges chapter 3 and verse 12. So this is a a number of years before uh, this scene, so, so maybe a maybe hundred years or, or more, but, but it gives you a general idea of what's going on. Judges chapter 3 and verse 12, And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord strengthened Eglon, the king of Moab, against Israel, because they had done what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He gathered to himself the Ammonites and the Amalekites and went and defeated Israel. And they took possession of the city of Palms. And the people of Israel served Eglon, the king of Moab, 18 years. Now, why do we point to that? I just It's an illustration of the fact that they were constant at, at war with the Moabite people. They were a despised people. Uh, no one appreciated the Moabite people. Uh, they didn't like them. Uh, they were constantly re- rebellious, and they constantly were causing problems for the nation of Israel. And so when the author of Ruth is emphasizing that she is a Moabite woman in the midst of this time, he is emphasizing the fact that she is outside the covenant of promise. She is outside of God's uh, covenant promises. But God is bringing in even a people that are not his own. God is bringing in the Moabite people as a display of what he will do. And so she doesn't take for granted uh, that, that Boaz will demonstrate. She recognizes that she is not entitled to that, that she is undeserving. And the truth then of this passage becomes clear that we cannot earn God's kindness. God's kindness is not something that can be bought. It's not something that can be purchased. You can't give enough money to God to buy his, his kindness towards you, uh, his goodness towards you. Mercy would cease to be mercy if it was deserved, if it was merited, right? And so we trust that in the gospel of Christ, it's not something that we deserve. In this passage, we see God caring for an outsider, someone who is not a part of the promises of God. And, and one of the great applications we see of Ruth is how, how do we show care for outsiders? How do we demonstrate kindness towards those who are outsiders? We see also that God is working to bring in a nation, a nation not of his own, that God will redeem all people for his glory. The goodness of God is displayed in those who are undeserving, those who do not deserve his kindness. 
And third and finally in this story, we see that God rewards those who trust him. God rewards those who trust him. So let's look here in our time remaining how Ruth, how Boaz, how Naomi in chapter 3 trust the Lord. How does God provide a reward to Ruth? How does he provide a reward to Naomi? How does he provide a reward to Boaz? Well, for Ruth, he, God provides a husband, a provider, protector, a name. For Naomi, God provides a husband for her daughter, a name for her son that's dead, a perpetuation of, of her husband's name. No longer, by providing for Naomi and Ruth, God is working. How does God provide for Boaz? A single man who we know by the narrative is much older, unmarried, for some reason. And God is providing him a wife. But what is going on here in this passage? What really is happening here in this marriage ceremony? What is this language of Redeemer? Well, what we see happening here is really a melding together of two things in the Old Testament. Uh, the Leverite marriage, uh, which is uh, a marriage ceremony for a widow, but then also the purchasing and acquiring of land, uh, how land would continue. Remember, when the nation of Israel went into the land of Canaan, uh, God uh, instructed Moses and Joshua how the land was to be divided up and who was supposed to get that land. Well, Land rights was very important. And so what we see is someone died, that land was to go to their children. Well, what do you do if he doesn't have children? What do you do? Well, it would stay within the larger family. It would be passed on between the family. And so if you have your Bibles open, let's look at Deuteronomy 25. And we really just see the backstory to what's happening here. That's kind of a fulfillment. And the point I want you to get is not just looking at a bunch of Bible verses, but to get the point that they are beginning to follow God's word. Remember, they are living in a time when the word of the Lord is not obeyed. They're living in a time when no one is obeying God's word. And here we see Boaz, Naomi, and Ruth trusting in the Lord's will for their lives, trusting in the Lord's words. In, in Deuteronomy 25 and verse 5. And here's the law concerning the Leverite marriage. If, brother, if, if brothers dwell together and one of them dies and has no sin, son, excuse me, the wife of the dead man shall not be married outside the family to a stranger. Her husband's brother shall go in and take her as a wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. And the first son whom she bears shall succeed to the name of his dead brother, that his name may not be blotted out of Israel. And if the man does not wish to take his brother's wife, then his brother's wife shall go up to the gate to the elders and say, My brother's husband refuses to perpetuate his brother's name in Israel. He will not perform the duty of a husband's brother to many. Then the elders of his city shall call him and speak to him. And if he persists, saying, I do not wish to take her, then his brother's wife shall go up to him in the presence of the elders and pull his sandal off his feet and spit in his face and shall answer and say, so shall it be done to the man who does not build up his brother's house. And the name of his house shall be called in Israel, the house of who, the house of him who had his sandals pulled off. So we see in this passage that it was disgrace not to fulfill this Leverite marriage. 
that the one, the brother who said, you know, I don't want to do this, was disgraced. But what we see in this is that God is providing for the unprotected. God is providing protection to these widows. He's providing care for them in that. But we see also in this story not only a lever at marriage, but also the, the land possession acquisition. So not only the carrying on of the name of Malon, but also the carrying on of the land. Who's going to take care of the land that Elimelech owned, that was his? And so we see kind of the twofold thing happening here, and that Ruth uh, appeals to her redeemer, appeals to Boaz, as one who is a redeemer, who can redeem the land, and who also can marry her. So you see kind of the twofold aspect here. And so what, what, what is this displaying again? It is displaying God's reward to those who trust in him. Naomi and Ruth are trusting <coughs> excuse me, in the Lord's plan, in God's purposes, in his word. By trusting in the Lord, Ruth would, was obeying her mother. Uh, she didn't say, you know, Naomi, forget your plan. Yeah, that's silly. That dude's old. That, I don't want to do that. I want to go find an, another man that's young like I am. I, I don't know about Boaz. I, I don't know about him. No, she follows her mother. She's trusting in there. And we even see here later on that Boaz points out this whole thing. Look with me at verse 10. Verse 10 again, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And so Boaz was much older. Uh, he, he wasn't particularly you know, wealthy, although he wasn't poor. But yet she here is trusting the Lord. She's trusting the kindness of God, the goodness of God. Repeatedly in the Old Testament and in the New, we are told that those who trust in the Lord will be rewarded. Uh, so, for example, in 1 Samuel chapter 26, the Lord rewards every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. Or in Hebrews 11, 6, And without faith it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. God is one who rewards those who trust in him, those who trust in his word. Now one of the areas that can be difficult when we begin to think about God's reward uh, that can be problematic, and we've seen abuses of that where you begin to, you know, begin to apply it in a formulaic way. If I do this, then I will get that. You perhaps have heard that kind of prosperity theology where if you will just trust God, everything will be okay. If you just believe, then you'll never have problems. Now, we clearly understand that even in this story, there are problems, there's tension, there's, there's difficulty, right? And so, so it's not just trusting God and everything's going to be fine, but trusting God, knowing that he will take care of everything. Just trusting the Lord, that he is good, leaning on his goodness and, and his grace. And so the Bible doesn't go to a lot of specifics on what the reward you receive, right? Rewards vary. They, they might be health. It might be recovery from sickness. It might be uh, financial blessing. But it also uh, might be spiritual blessings, growth in spiritual ways, encouragement. It, it may be God blessing you with a spouse. It may be blessing you with children. God blesses in many ways. God rewards in many ways. And, and so I don't want to point to specific things, but generally look at the character of God and how he does that. So, so just a few passages that I've sort of cobbled together that, that help paint this picture, how God rewards. In Psalm 19, verse 11, 
David says, moreover, by them is your servant warm, that is, in the commandments. In keeping them, in keeping his word, there is great reward. So one of the ways God blesses, one of the ways God rewards is by giving wisdom through his word. So one of the ways God rewards his people's trust in him is saying that, look, if you'll just trust me. So remember when Jesus said, listen, don't worry about what you're going to say in a time of need. When you're confronted, just trust me and the spirit of God will give you wisdom. Proverbs 22.4, the reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. And so those who trust in the Lord receive riches and honor and life. Um, those are just three general ways that God does that, right? It doesn't mean you're going to be a millionaire, right? It just means that God is going to provide for you, that God is going to give you all that you need. And, and many of you, I know I've, I've heard your stories about how you were in times of desperation, times of poverty, and how in those times God met your needs all throughout that time. Yeah, you didn't have flaming yawn every night, but you were fed, and God provided for you, and you just kept trusting in God's goodness, that His character in that. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, which if you were just to consider how often He talks about rewards in the Sermon on the Mount, it is really a theme that stretches throughout it. But in Matthew five twelve, rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. That is, if you're trusting God in the midst of persecution, God will reward you. In this context, he's talking about eternal life. And that's what we really understand is to be the great reward, right? Uh, We understand that all of the rewards of life, however great they may be, they pale in comparison to the great reward of eternal life. As Paul says in Colossians 3.24, Whoever, uh, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not men knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord. And so our inheritance, our rest in eternity, is the great reward that we, that we have. Jesus even speaks about a loss of reward, a, a losing of reward. Not a loss, I don't think, I do believe, of eternal life, but a loss of, of reward in heaven, that there's some sort of rewards that we gain in heaven. And, and the Bible is rather silent on, on the specifics of what those are, but nonetheless, we understand there's a loss. And so I think this passage, we look at it, and there's, mer- there's many things that we can consider. It's generally, the overarching theme is an exhortation to us to trust God even when no one else is. That we should expect that God will do great things in our life when we trust Him, when we depend on Him. We're not trying to run and try to figure things out. When we cry out to God, spread your wings over me, for you are my Redeemer. When we take the words of Ruth and the trust of Boaz, and we see that what she's really trusting isn't Boaz, but the Lord, the one in whom she has come. To trust. So will you trust the Lord? Even when you don't see His hand in your life. Will you trust the Lord even when you don't feel like trusting? Will you follow the example of these characters in the midst of darkness, in the midst of discouragement, in the midst of loss of life? They trusted the Lord. They stayed with His plan and His purposes. Friends, God rewards those who trust in Him. So do you appreciate God's kindness towards you? As we heard earlier in Psalm 103, 
So I just encourage you, just something you can do today, uh, maybe this week, look at Psalm 103 and look at what the psalmist does. He praises the goodness of God by looking at the past, how God had been good in the past, as a foundation for how God would be good in the future. That is, that God's character doesn't change. That if God has been good to you in the past, he will continue to be good to you and into the future. So do you appreciate God's kindness? Do you recognize the the goodness he has given you in life? Do you understand that you are undeserving of those things? That there's nothing about the mercy of God that we deserve. But that God is gracious to us. Will you continue to trust? Let's end with these words. Riches I heed not, nor vain empty praise. Thou mine inheritance now and always. Thou and thou only first in my heart. High King of heaven. My treasure thou art. Is God your only treasure? Do you only seek and trust him for what you need in life? Let's pray. Gracious God in heaven, we give glory and praise to you in Christ. Pray, Lord, that you would, by your spirit, give us strength to trust you. Many here today are faced with many difficulties, many trials. We do not consider these things to be light. They're hard and difficult. But we continue to trust in you, to rely on your mercies. And so our prayer is that new mercies would be given today and tomorrow and the next until you call us home. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our trust is in Christ.